and what we do to ourselves on an assignment, yeah. how much time we spend beating ourselves over the head and beating ourselves up for not getting the shot or not having thought in a grander, broader vision. And you see other people's work and you're like, oh my God, like that is, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm always comparing. <laughs> you never feel worthy, you know, but, um, but you understand that that's how everybody feels. And then you feel like, oh, okay, well, everybody gets it, you know, so yeah. it's all good. Welcome back to the Rome from Home podcast. I'm Chris Gerard, founder of Rome. Thanks for joining us. Co-host is Corey Richards, not you, photographer, alpinist, storyteller, and always bringing the heat. Awesome conversationalist. We're super grateful to have him on board. He carries it many days. So look, we've got a whole new exciting thing going on. Rome Premium Membership. I want to bring that first and foremost to your attention. If you're paying attention to what we're doing, we've been building this like elves for the last nine weeks to bring to you. And I'm excited to bring it to you today in conjunction with our guest, an extraordinary conversation with an extraordinary human, Jimmy Chin. Jimmy has been a huge part of everything that we do here at Rome from the beginning. In fact, even the origin story of Rome one of the very first conversations I had about the idea to, to create a new voice for adventure was with Jimmy. As a chief creative light for us and as a founding member, he's been there every step of the way and today is no different. We are launching premium membership. Jimmy's gonna say a couple words around that right here. Hi, I'm Jimmy Chin. We started Rome not only to inspire our community with great content, but also to educate and enable action. We wanted to share our experiences to educate the next generation of explorers. This is Rome Academy. Learn from some of the best and hopefully live a more adventurous life. So that's what I'm talking about. This is not just about inspiring. We've been doing that with content, trying to do that for you. Now we're gonna educate and try to enable you as well. So as an example, we're gonna give you a little taste today. If you stick around to the end of the podcast, we have a very special treat, our new podcast, Legends from the Field. Legends from the Field is an exclusive podcast that you only get as a member, but today we're going to give that to you for free so you get a taste of it, and we're going to give that to you from Jimmy himself. This is an incredible story, as so many of his are, but it's really an example of what we're doing with this new podcast and some of the exclusive content. It's an intimate story that you probably haven't heard before from Jimmy. We're going to be doing this with folks like Travis Rice, Mike Horn, Sasha DeJulian, Corey himself, Travis. Um, lots of the founding members sat down with us and walked us through that campfire story that you haven't heard before. This is a doozy of a story from Mount Everest. I won't ruin or spoil it for you. Uh, Jimmy tells it best, but stick around to the end. You can get a taste of that Legends from the Field. Check out premium membership. It's a new thing that we're doing. We've built it for you. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, everybody. Yeah, what's up, Jimmy? What's up, Corey? What's happening, you? buddy? You guys. It's good to see you too, man. Yeah. The isolation chambers. Respectively. Yeah. This, yeah is this is a very special episode, I believe. Is this episode nine or 10? Nine or 10. Yeah. One of them. So we warmed up, Jimmy, for you. We've, we've, you know, we're not total, we 
still do not know what the fuck we're doing, but we're, we're getting there. So just like, you know, be kind to us. Yeah. Um, but if anyone out there in the Rome universe doesn't know who we're talking to today, then you haven't been paying attention, but uh, we are super excited to have Jimmy Chin on the Rome from home podcast today, photographer, skier, climber, father, husband, many other things. But Corey always, always gives me a bunch of shit about me introducing people because okay. um, he rightfully thinks it's sort of lame. So we're going to say, Jimmy, introduce yourself. <laughs> yeah. Who are you? Oh, hey. Um, well, uh, I'm Jimmy Chin and I am here in my uh, isolation chamber, my gear room. And I, uh, I've been asked what i what I do for a living for 20 years, I still don't have a good answer. So, um, but I make films and I'm a photographer and I love being outside. Do you, do you, do you get annoyed when people, I mean, I find myself, I sometimes get annoyed when people want to put me in a box. I mean, I just, when you answered that, that there, there's like a sense of not, maybe not annoyance, but like, I, I don't know what I do. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's more, it's more like an annoyance at myself that I still haven't figured out like the right soundbite to describe my work. But sometimes just to get it over with, I say, oh, I'm a photographer. And they'll be like, right. oh, what kind of photography? And I say nature. And they're like, okay, cool. And then they're like, oh, polar bears. And you're like, kind of. I'm like, no, that's my friend, Paul Nicklin. You've probably right. seen his work. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> We're Corey Richards. Yeah. But, right. um, have I ever, sh I don't think I've ever taken a photo of a polar bear. That surprises me, actually. There's yeah, always I mean, time. I've been, I've been in areas where there are polar bears and I've had to, you know, set up a perimeter and that kind of thing. But I, I, I haven't actually seen one, which part of me is happy because um not to put out the wrong idea about polar bears but i was always imagining if i was seeing a polar bear it would be like punching through my tent and eating yeah <laughs> which is not how you want to encounter so i was like oh, i'll pass on seeing the polar bear for now but maybe if i was with paul or Corey, i could see him from the right distance, from the distance. <laughs> yeah Gre greenland that's uh I'm, I'm excited to go check that out at some point because man the, the the images that come back from there i'm just like have you you've been there you've been to Bath. i've been to greenland yeah uh yeah. but i've never been in an area where there were kind of polar bears but more uh up in baffin okay we're definitely mm. polar bears we just got invited by mike horn yeah. to go up to greenland oh on the last podcast I mean, he said you got to get on the boat and come up i think he was is, talking to both of us but maybe just you Corey. incredible incredible place and i only got to explore a little bit of the western coast but um if you like wild remote untouched places uh Greenland is is pretty amazing and and just mm -hmm. even the pieces that I saw the parts of the coast that I saw were mind-blowing well we did a film of a Nuna oh really well you, you the one with Dirk and oh did, yeah, yes. yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah you yeah, can yeah. go to Rome and see a yeah a amazing film featuring Jimmy Chin that's how <laughs> many that's how many Films Jimmy's and, done. He doesn't remember. Right, 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 <laughs> right. And I did. I, let me actually. That's a great introduction, Jimmy. But just in case we have some, Jimmy Chin, photographer, skier, climber, husband, 
And then, of course, filmmaker, most recently known very, very widely for this, along with his brilliant wife, Chai Vassarelli. They have created two of the most widely loved and critically acclaimed films in the history of adventure, I would say. And you don't have to take our word for it. I mean, you could just ask David Rubin. Sure. <laughs> David Rubin being the president of the Academy of Motion Picture and Arts and Sciences. Who so so what, what CJ is saying is Jimmy is an Academy Award winning that's right. filmmaker. That's right. That was a really- this, is, this is why I'm not allowed to do introductions because- <laughs> Thanks, Corey. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> People are like, who's David yeah. Rubin? Yeah. Um, I was like, wait, do I know? And then I was like, oh, I actually do know that name. Yeah. Um, I, would, I thought you might know it, but yeah. in any case, yes, of course, everybody introduces Jimmy as Academy Award winning filmmaker, um, but we know him, um, I think more- way. Yeah, as a dirtbag, right? As a guy who lived in his Subaru. But that brings so, like, I want to I want to back way up for people that don't know. You were you were raised by by immigrants, and I think that has had a profound, at least from my perception, that's had a profound impact on your trajectory. And I think it's maybe information yeah. that a lot of people don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, I think it had a profound impact on my trajectory, but it also, you know, I I don't think that not to overplay my hand here, but uh, you know, my parents grew up in, in China and, and you know, survived the hardship of escaping the communist revolution to Taiwan and um, made a life in Taiwan and studied hard and came to the States to go to graduate school uh, in the late sixties. And then, you know, I think that like I understand on a visceral level, like how challenging that is and how they came here to make a better life for themselves and for their future family. Um, and that experience was always, their experiences, obviously, you know, we lived through the experiences of our parents and their, and what influenced them. Um, and I know that they worked really, really hard to be able to provide a life for me that immigrant experience is not my own. I mean, clearly there's a lot of people in the US, um, their families, their parents, or their great, great, you know, their grandparents or great grandparents that came um, to seek a new life. And, and, and truly that is a real adventure, a true adventure, like taking big risks and take, you know, doing something that's um, really challenging that has real life consequences. Uh, but one of the things that I think people might miss is, um, and for me, I'm very cognizant of it, is that, you know, I really had to build my life from, you know, this type of life from a, a probably a different starting point than a lot of people in my peer group and my colleagues, you know, that might have had families that had a history of, you know, being in the mountains or climbing or skiing, or even at least coming from a place where climbing and skiing were in their vernacular. You know, one of the things my mom used to say to me when I first finished school and chose this other path, um, a path that, you know, was not what they necessarily wanted or expected, was that they were like, hey, look, of course we're worried. There's no word in Chinese for what, what you do. 
you know, like it, it doesn't even exist. It's, it's, of course, it's hard for us to wrap our heads around what you're trying to do because there isn't even a word for it, you know? Did, um, did you know what you were trying to do then though? Or is that- I didn't necessarily that- know what I was trying to do because I didn't think even, you know, 20 years ago, being a professional climber, I mean, climbing has obviously become much more mainstream now than it um, used to be. Yeah, there's this new film called Free Solo. You should check it out. (laughs) I know. And uh, so even then, not even just for my parents, I think for, you know, more traditionally oriented families in the U.S. that like moving out and living in a cave in the back of Camp 4 and living out of your car and climbing in Yosemite uh, would be kind of unexpected and hard to wrap mm-hmm. your head around. Not for some, but for, for many, I think. Uh, and so that, I, I, I only chose that path because in all the experiences that I was having in my life, there were very few things that really moved me and I don't know why, um, but I always felt like I, I, I wanted to be doing something that like really moved me that like, um, that I couldn't not do. And when I found climbing, you know, it had all of these elements in it that made me feel alive, um, and I, I really couldn't imagine not doing it. So I wasn't necessarily pursuing a career as certainly, you know, not pursuing a career as a professional, you know, climber, or at that time, a professional photographer or certainly filmmaker, but I was just doing what I felt like I needed to do to survive in this world, um, which was to do something that was really meaningful, that like gave me a sense of purpose um, that I wanted to do, you know? And it was that simple. Wasn't that complicated? Is, is that, has that evolved into an answer that would, I mean, is that your why? You know, well, I think a lot of- I mean, that is certainly part of the why. Like, my life experiences certainly have, you know, transformed me and, and I've evolved, or the reasons why I do things have evolved. But I'd say at the core of it, you know, the reason why I'm still doing what I do, the reason why I'm still scrapping to get my work done so I can run out the door at like four o'clock and try to get a lap somewhere up in the mountains. For right now, it's you know still pretty wintry here, so it's a backcountry ski lap somewhere. Is because I still love it, you know. So there is still that 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 feeling of inspiration and um, just feeling whole when I'm out in the mountains or in the any wilderness, really. Um, how do you, I, I mean that's really like just personally? How do you? What's happened to me in some ways is that as my career has evolved, in some ways I've fallen out of love with the action that brought me there. And you've done this, you've done an incredible job of staying deeply connected to the community, to your core passion. And I'm curious if you've, if you've intentionally fostered and, and paid attention to that relationship, or it's just something that you're so in love with that it, you've never had to, to pay attention to it. I think it's because 
I've had, and, and I don't know. I mean, maybe you, I'm romanticized. You more than anybody would probably get this. Um, there's very few people I think that can relate to me as well as probably you and a few other people. Cause you came from the same background as me. Like you came from that place of like loving to climb and like wanting to push yourself and perfect that craft and the excellence of, you know, in that craft and that drove you, which I'm sure taught both of us a lot in terms of how we applied ourselves to all the other things that we've done. Um, but I think, you know, a, a few things. A, I think that given my trajectory in the last 10 or 15 years, being pulled in a lot of different directions, like being trying to become a photographer, a professional photographer, and then being a filmmaker, now having a family, like there are all these things that pulled me away from being able to do the climbing and the skiing and the mountaineering at the level that I really wanted to be doing it at. And so um, it still feels like a gift to me when I can still go out and do it. And I've also come to the realization, I mean, um, that you know, there's all this identity tied, you know, that we have tied to, okay, I'm a climber, right? And I'm supposed to be this, and I'm a skier, and I'm supposed to be this. I've tried to move away from that, even though it's still there, it's impossible to escape. I mean, mm -hmm. that's just, it, it is what it is. Um, but, like, I find so much joy in the, just the simple act of walking up the mountain and skiing back down it or going rock climbing and I'm not sending super hard, but I still love being out there and trying to find the joy in like not having to be on an expedition to get that full experience. Even though, you know, I would say that some of the pinnacle experiences I've had in the climbing realm and mountaineering and alpine climbing and skiing have been on expeditions, but like my day to day, I don't need that much. I just, it's, it's a, it's such, therapy for me. Um, I'm horrible at sitting meditation. I've tried. I will continue to try. But for me, it, it still is just the simple joy of like going out there. Um, and that has been a constant since the beginning. And I still derive a lot of pleasure out of it. That's one thing. The second thing is that the people, for me, it's has been a lot about the people that I have met and found on this journey. Um, and I have like some very close knit friends, another outer circle that I feel like I could walk into any day and feel embraced and, you know, be part of that tribe. Um, I feel like the people that we have in our community are really incredible and when you share experiences simple experiences out in the wilderness it's all very raw and transparent and um and that kind of interaction that i get to have with the people that are in this community still are very meaningful and and i think that especially after like experiences like the last few years, you know, you're on tour for the film and you're on an awards campaign and you're meeting all the right people and hanging out with 
going to all the right parties and meeting all the right influential academy voters or whatever it is. And it's great and I appreciate it, but I feel like the depth of the relationships I have with with the people that I've known for 20 years in the mountains. Mm -hmm. uh, I have this amazing picture of you, Jimmy, at the, when you came back after the award of you and Conrad meeting up, I think I sent that to you and you're looking at him. You guys are looking at one another. Yeah. And he's holding me. He's holding you. Like, I mean, sort of it's like you're looking up at him and you have this look on your face. There's this huge connection and you guys are just staying stood there for a minute. It was so cool to see that to your point, you know, you're there and that happens and you're surrounded by Hollywood and all the people and it's those people you've known for decades and decades yeah. that you have that moment with, you know? No, I mean, I, I, I love that photo. There's a couple people that took photos of that moment, but there's one in particular um, that I'm thinking of. And that photo embodies so much to me because, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, what, what, what's your experience after the, you know, the Oscars and all this stuff, what was it like? And I remember distinctly that, you know, there was, there's a lot going on. It's pretty overwhelming, all that stuff, but distinctly feeling, and this, I will never forget. It was just this huge sense of deep gratitude because I, you know, similar to like what happened to me after I had an avalanche, it was like, this was so intense. And then all of a sudden there was like a moment of clarity of like all of these things. And my moment of clarity at the Oscars was just like, I could literally see all of the people in my life that like allowed me or helped me get to where I was because I knew that it wasn't me. It was like, it became really clear that it was all of these um, people in my life that helped either mentor me or guide me along or um, even the people that, you know, called me out or, you know, that put me in my place. Like it was all of those people that allowed me to get to that place. Um, and that moment with Conrad, I was just looking at him because it's just one of those moments where like he knew that I knew that he knew that I knew <laughs> yeah. what was up, you know, I mean, the, the opportunities and that he had shared with me, um, the knowledge, the hard moments, everything that we'd been through together, uh, you know, I mean, he, he, he was, he had like a huge impact on my life. Um, which is a good thing to understand that, that like we all have the capacity to be that for, for people. Um, and for that, I'm grateful both for what he's done for me, but also for that understanding. Mm, that's great. Community family. I mean, there's a lot of, there's, there's so much, um, I think you're, I think you're really adored in, in our community. You're sort of like, and I don't mean this in a bad way at all. You're sort of a darling and people 
really are drawn to you. And then there's this other side of you that is insanely driven. Um, you're, you know, I know you, and, and this is a compliment as a, as a shrewd businessman who's very good at what he does. And, and I think oftentimes people um, don't understand the depth to which you operate. You and I shared a room once um, up at the up at an event, and and afterwards you sent me a book. You sent me the I Ching, and I'm and I'm curious about how what you've what you've pulled from that that allows you to operate on those seemingly opposed levels at time where you know you yeah. you you operate at a level of you're surrounded by immense ego and identity and somehow you skate under it a little bit. You achieve at a very high level without coming off as overambitious. Um, you seem to have, for lack of a better term, a, a yin yang sort of existence that is balanced. And I'm curious if your study of the I Ching or anything else has led to that. No, if you're just fucking 100%. lucky. No, no, no. <laughs> I um I can't take credit for everything that's happened necessarily. I think well, of course, but you know the universe works in obviously very incredible and strange ways. But I would say that I'm very conscious of the yin and yang. I mean that's a very basic premise of of Taoism and and in a lot of Chinese philosophy. But it's like which I studied a lot. Right. Uh, you know my I I, I minored in. Um, East Asian religion um, and and Taoism was something that I did deep dive in for a long time and still you know look to for guidance but um, that idea of kind of both being like a warrior and a healer you know like mm -hmm. you a well-developed person you know necessarily kind of should be able to balance both can of be both yeah can be both or, um, or maybe not binary yes but one of the things i think that's been um that underlies like let's say like the business acumen side is less like i kind of like stumble my way through a lot of that and i've made mistakes and i've gotten lucky here and there made some good decisions made some bad decisions but i think ultimately the thing about the eaching and and what you're talking about is like how do you how are you able to kind of navigate that is i think one of the basic premises is just to be very grounded and to be able to see yourself for who you are when I go into like negotiating contracts or business type of deals, it's actually pretty clear to me what I'm trying to achieve. It's not necessarily like I need to make the most money. It's all kind of based against this idea of time and how precious time is. And like the things that I hope to do and aspire to do like if I'm being asked to do something else, um, it has to be proportionally value to me not using that time for other things. And like right now it's with my family or to do the things that I love or to be able to spend time with the people I care about or that are friends that um, provide very simple, like they're not these really high 
you know, aspirations, they're, they're actually pretty simple. And so when I look at things that way, um, I'm like, okay, well, if I'm going to have to do this and that, then I negotiate hard because I'm willing to walk away. Um, and it's not like, I don't think I'm a great necessarily businessman. I'm horrible with numbers. I can't look at spreadsheets, but I'm good at, at closing something or walking away. And that's because I feel really grounded in like my priorities. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think there's anything more complex, like there isn't any like more complicated calculus that I'm doing. It's literally like, okay, and I, and I also know what I bring to the table because I also know that if I'm asked to do something by someone, I'm going to go 110%. And so if I do close this deal and I'm being asked to do this, I'm going to bring it, you know? And um, so I also know that they're getting something like that. And so I think people maybe if they do think that, or if you think so, like, that I have like a particular, um, I'm really good, you know, at business and I'm not necessarily well, I, in that way good, but I, I do, I can negotiate because I come from a place that's like very centered and I know mm-hmm. exactly what. You know is. what your priorities are. I mean, you yeah. have a matrix, it, it, maybe not a spreadsheet, but yeah. you have an inherent understanding of where, where your priorities yeah. lie. The value that I'm gonna bring and the opportunity costs and time. And that's- What are your priorities right now? Literally, that's the calculus. You know, right now, um, given the current situation, like, I don't know if I'm wired that way, if I learned this from being on expeditions or not, but, you know, I generally try to find, you know, the positives and the opportunities in any given moment. Um, I have been, I've heard myself thinking to myself and saying that like, this is too much. Like my, my, my life is moving too fast. Like there are simple things that I am not getting that I really need. Um, I'm traveling like endlessly. And while there are certain satisfaction and gratification I get from the work that I do and the travel that I get and the new people that I'm meeting, I keep wanting to come back to um, like who I am and, and the simple things of, uh, you know, the simple needs that I have is, I still feel like I'm, well, I am still the same person I've always been. Nothing's changed, you know? So, um, Right now, I'm like, my priorities are trying to be a good father um, and a good partner. Um, You know, I work with a lot of different companies. The people who I'm working with, you know, I'm trying to do the best I can to kind of fulfill um, the expectations of, you know, the people I'm working with, whether that's from the film side or, or sponsors or whatnot. But right now, it's... I think it's an incredible moment for reflection and time to think about what's important. Um, so I don't have any huge ambitions for, you know, big mountains that I want to climb next. Um, looking at more, more, why do I still want to climb? And are there things that would be, 
you know, important enough to really put time and effort towards. Um, I guess right now I, I am still like active, you know, I think for me taking care of myself physically is also what I need to do to take care of myself mentally, like getting out every day. I've been training, um, you know, not insanely hard, but like fairly consistently getting out. Um, for me to feel good, I have to feel fit, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just something I've realized. I don't dissect it much anymore. I know that that's what makes me feel good, makes me a better person around other people. So I'm like, okay, well, you should probably take care of that. Do you, I mean, this is um, slightly, it's, it's back a ways in, in, in the conversation now, but you say, you're, you know, you're meeting all these people. One thing that I've always noticed about you and the time that we've spent together is, um, you know, it's easy for me to, to almost, to, to be jealous of you from a distance. But when I'm around you, and in this conversation is a prime example. Um, I feel, I feel a genuine warmth, uh, a closeness, an interest, and and I think there's a there's a truism to that. Exceptional people make the others that are around them feel exceptional. And I'm curious how you do that. I mean, when, when you meet new people, do you do you learn about them beforehand? Is it is it just something that is your curiosity just there? I mean, you make people around you feel good. Um, well, I hope so. I mean, I, I don't necessarily like, I don't, I'm not, you know, trying necessarily to make people feel good. I feel like it's more just, I keep using the word, word simple. Like I'm just looking for like simple, real people and conversations and, um, you know, it's interesting because I had the whole Oscar campaign where there is a very specific agenda. You're trying to win an Oscar and you are going through this whole process of like trying to get people to vote for your film and trying to get people to see your film and to try to be likable so that they'll vote for you, that kind of thing. And it was an, it was a really interesting process for me because I could see it for what it was. Um, and I really went into it just feeling like, well, I know how I feel when people have an agenda to meet me mm-hmm. and it's not very positive. Mm-mm. So I went through the whole thing just being like, well, I'm not going to have an agenda. Hmm. I'm just here. <laughs> and my, had an intent. <laughs> I mean, the film had an intent, right? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. And I, and I have, um, you know, I have publicists and, and people who asked me to be here. I'm going to be here. I'm just going to try to be present. And um, I'm just who I am and no more, no less. People can project or apply whatever they want to me. But, uh, but I think maybe that makes people feel comfortable, um, hopefully. Like I don't have an agenda right now. Yeah, I'm right. basically here hanging out with Chris, and, yeah. <laughs> and that's that's it. But you are—I mean, you are famously grounded and humble. I, I, you know, d- despite 
you know, a lot of yeah, accolades. That, that word always kind of makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does because <laughs> humble people don't, don't, they, yeah. they have a hard time with it. Um, but I think that, you know, one thing that, that we've, we've been dancing in is community and where you come from. I mean, both from a family perspective and a community perspective and, you know, something that people always ask me in, in regard to you in terms of like, we, our tagline is adventure with purpose, right? And you always seem to have a very grounded purpose. Even I just, I found this quote. Um, I truly believe the intention of creating positive change is so important to the collective consciousness. When you have a group of people that have the intention and the capacity, talent, and intelligence to actualize those intentions, then you have something really powerful. And I, I bring that up in, in this, in, in around you your- that's Jimmy's quote. Yeah, oh. that's you. <laughs> you said that. Wow. Yeah. God damn, I'm right, smart. Right, right, right. Yeah, who said that? Exactly. And, See, that, that's, that's why you're famously <laughs> humble, right? Wait, that guy sounds really smart. Well, that was you. <laughs> <a mofo. laughs> um, yeah, you know, I mean, around that, like, I've noticed just going through this, I mean, here we are. This is April 14th, 2020. We're in the middle of a health crisis, pandemic. Um, and you know, you, a lot of the time that you've spent on online in terms of your social feeds, everything has been about, you know, pushing, um, pushing some purpose. Um, and you've talked a lot about advent, you know, your adventures and purpose being behind that. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, I think that it's related in terms of who you are and how you can go into an Oscar campaign and still be grounded is that you know, and it, and it relates back to this idea of the community that we're all participating in as a, both of you as, as founders, founding members of Rome, like that the community that we come from and how that, the influence there can really, um, you know, it makes a Jimmy Chin essentially like, um, so adventure with purpose, like, yeah, I mean, well, this answer is related to what you're saying, I'm, it might seem tangential, but it does, it does get, we'll get back to your point. I feel like I'm continually being humbled. Um, part of that is maybe most of it is just, you know, like I'm pretty hard on myself. Um, and I've been surrounded by so many like incredible characters and people that I've looked up to and um, whether it was Conrad or Dean Potter or Rick Ridgway or Galen Rowell or Steph Davis or, you know, like I, I, I feel like I've always had these people that I um, looked up to, uh, sometimes put on a pedestal, always felt humbled by, and, and oftentimes because, you know, as we all do, we compare ourselves to them. They're like, oh, he's so much more driven or or so much stronger and faster and better climber, or she's, you know, so visionary. What it could be a filmmakers or writers. So I don't know. I mean, because, you know, we're human and, and we do that and we have egos, we we're comparing ourselves all the time. And I think at some point, and I still do it. It's not like I don't do it anymore, but like, you know, at a certain point you realize like, I can't, I got to stop comparing and, um because it's just like it's not, the worst 
it's not useful. Yeah. You know? And so it's kind of like, um, but then getting to that part, you know, then you see people for who they are and their flaws, but you still care about them and you still love them and you still hold them up on a pedestal. And like, um, but I found, a, I, I've, I've always looked and found these gems, even if, you know, beyond all the flaws of these people, like what makes them extraordinary. And those were the stories that I was like really not interested, like I, I was compelled to tell. Hmm. So whether, like I know Alex, I've known Alex forever. There are things about Alex where, you know, that I didn't necessarily like or didn't agree with. And I mean, clearly he's evolved, like, Alex has come so far and I, I'm blown away at where he is now. Like, um, but there are these pieces of him or like of Dean that, or of Conrad that, you know, I found really true and, and deep. And, um, and I felt like those stories were worth telling. And hmm. um, so in terms of purpose, like just, you know, the films that, I make, I, I want to show a real picture. I don't want to over-dramatize anything. I always try to use restraint, which I think is much more powerful. Um, but I want to show a clear picture of who these people are. And that's what makes them relatable. That's why people fall in love with them because they're like, okay, he's awkward or that part is pretty gnarly, but you know, um, but this, but it elevates like this other aspect of them because people realize that they're real people still even if they're kind of superhuman um which i think is an important story to tell because it's about human potential it's about finding like the beauty and grace in 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 humans um but beyond that like adventure with purpose i mean i'm going to compare myself right now <laughs> but like I don't necessarily feel like I'm like the best person to speak to that because I feel like there are so many people who've devoted their lives purely to like doing great things um, um, for the planet, for wildlife. Uh, and I'm always like, oh, I should be doing more. Like, you know, Chris Tompkins being a prime example um, and Doug Tompkins, uh, the late Doug Tompkins, um, you know, I mean, they do have their own self-interest, but their lives are like devoted to like, saving the planet and um you know 25 years of their lives and all they do is think about what they can do to better the world and i'm always like oh i'm only doing like one one hundred thousandth of that mm. but maybe i can share this story and that that is the part that i can contribute um and so I'm going to try to play to my strengths and do something to help elevate what they're doing. And in, in doing so, I feel like I'm fulfilling my purpose and that my adventure with purpose is, is elevating um, the work of other people, the aspirations of other people. Uh, and that's, that's kind of what I do. And that's kind of what I know how to do. Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I'm at these days, you know, it's like, okay, well, what can I bring to the table to contribute and, and maybe amplify? Ideally it's to amplify because if someone is already doing something incredible and great, like I have a few things I can contribute to like maybe amplify. 
Um, mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I can do. That's why I don't have my own foundation, but I can help elevate, you know, what Alex did and in doing so, you know, um, that will help his uh, organization. But I'm and not on a larger level. I mean, Alex had stories. to see that, you know, um, yeah. Chris, Chris Tompkins and Doug Tompkins, they had the vision to build Tompkins Conservation. Um, I'm not building Jimmy Chin Conservation, but, and I'm not building the Jimmy Chin Foundation, at least not yet, but, you know. You're building uh, the Chin Dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> Alex and I joke about that because um, he's his is the Han Dynasty and I'm the Chin Dynasty. But uh, my wife pointed out that the Han Dynasty, no matter how big Alex Honnold gets, um, they need to have offspring to have the Han Dynasty continue. And so far, we're right. ahead. <laughs> which we joke about with alex we're like well yeah, well yeah, alex yeah. if we're really in competition looks like it's a one generation deal right now so yeah you, uh, you better get busy about long game here buddy <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm curious like i spent some time with alex uh when we did the espn shoot this year how did your relationship with, you know, I've known Alex for 10 years and, and, and like you said, he's, he's, um, he's, he's changed a lot. I don't want to talk about him. I want to talk about how your relationship with him changed you. I mean, what have you, how has it impacted you? Well, I, I think I love Alex and a lot of people love Alex and are inspired Alex because, uh, you know, he has a particular view on the world yeah uh, and it's very st not straight in the sense of like he's not open-minded but like he has a good capacity to be objective about situations like he can cut through the bullshit real quick right and sometimes uh he has an opinion that i might not necessarily agree with but the way that he thinks and his logic um, have certainly made an impression on me. Like, you know how you can kind of get to know someone um, and you appreciate their worldview and then sometimes you'll apply that world, like someone else's worldview to a particular situation. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. how would this person think about it? Or how would they see this situation? Um, and that's something that, you know, I've gotten out of, my friendship with Alex, but I would also say like the human capacity or just the individual capacity to evolve. Like I've never seen someone be able to evolve so quickly. Mm -hmm. It's like his adaptation in terms of like how he achieved what he did he also applies in his personal development as a human being. And, um, and I think that that is pretty incredible. Hmm. Like how, 
Yeah. I mean, some things about Alex will never change, of course, but um, I've been really impressed with like, you know, what I've seen in the last 12, gosh, maybe more, maybe 15 years now. Yeah. Probably like 13, 14 years now. Like, yeah, I guess it was, was and where he is now. I'm like, wow. Like just his capacity to speak like as an orator or like, you know, he's like, okay, well, I need to learn how to speak better. Like I need to be, I'm going to try to do this and I'm just going to do it. And then he'll like become it. And you're like, Whoa. <laughs> how are his hugs? How are his hugs coming along? Hugs are much better. I mean, um, but I'd like to think that, you know, this, this whole experience for him was really positive too. And that like he came out of it with a lot of um, things uh, I think seeing himself on screen hundreds of times saying certain things to certain people and being like, you know, I need to be nicer. And then he becomes <laughs> nicer. And you're like, what? How did you, <laughs> you know, like it, it's a, that to me, I've been like, oh, okay, so you can just do that. You can just be like, okay. And you're like, okay, well, I'm going to try to be able to just, you know, be able to do manifest right well but to your point of uh telling stories on human potential right like that's obviously what he did physically is but alex and i got much closer i don't know on his side but i mean yeah no i mean we 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 had some we we've shared some really outrageous um and hilarious experiences together outside of like the normal scope of a two climbers and yeah um, so I, I get a question for you, Jimmy, on, since we're talking about sort of heroes and influences and community, I mean, you have such a very diverse community. Like we're talking about our community, the realm community and, and outdoor community, if you will, climber, skier, but then, you know, you also are a national geographic photographer. That's a community. You're okay. also are a director, an Academy Award winning director. Now that's a community. So just in terms of influences and heroes, I'm going to give you like a little popcorn round. Like I'm going to give you, because you are part of the climbing community at the highest level, part of the skiing community at the highest level, part of the filmmaking community, part of the photography community. So influences, heroes for you in those that we've talked about some of them, but Climbing. Influences? Influence. Yeah. I'm gonna say I'm gonna give you the, oh, like the, the community and you're gonna say who who is your influence in that particular uh, in that realm, I mean on different levels, but like certainly Yvonne Chouinard is someone that I've looked up to on multiple different levels. Um whenever I spend time with them, I'm just like, oh gosh. Yeah, I try not to put him on the pedestal, but I it's really hard for me not to. Everything that comes out of his mouth, I'm like that was so profound, (laughs) you know, he's, and it's because he's just, and he's just down to earth and he's just who he is. And I love that about Yvonne. Um, Peter Croft, same. You know, I thought I couldn't like hold him in higher regard before I met him. And then after spending time with him and every time I do spend time with him, I'm just like, man, this guy is, so real and so legit and just is you know it, 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 they, they're all kind of like these people who are who they are they do what they do because they love it, it is who they are and um uh certainly john krakauer uh 
I mean, he's from the climbing community. Maybe he's not the world's greatest climber ever, but you know, he, he had a pretty big influence on being able to bring, well, he's just an incredible person and storyteller. Um, and I guess all of these people also have like deep conviction and um, some more tortured than others, some just not tortured at all, but like total clarity. Um, but yeah, I'd say Rick Ridgway, Galen Raul, Con Conrad, of course, Peter Croft, mm -hmm. uh, Tommy Caldwell, um, Dean Potter was a huge influence. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot. That, and that's like sort of the foundation because that's where we started. Yeah. But then you're also deep in the skiing community. You're also a film director. You're also a photographer. Um, you know, as a, as a director, for instance, I mean, what have you learned and from who, like, what have you learned from Chai? You know, who are your influences as a director? Yeah, certainly Chai has a, been a huge influence. I mean, I've learned endless, I'd say Bob Eisenhart, our editor. He's like one of the most, I mean, truly, I mean, if you want, he's brilliant. Um, and I consider him a filmmaker director. I mean, he's, he he couldn't point a camera, but in terms of like understanding how to tell a story with words, music, visuals, imagery, like, and, and to be able to do it in this perfect way, like, like, that's the thing about great, great editors is like, if it's a really well edited film, you will never know, because you're so deep in it. Um, I've learned a ton from Bob, but I mean, there's so many incredible filmmakers that I, I mean, um, endless and, and about both documentary and narrative. I mean, mm -hmm. when you start to understand what it takes to make a narrative film and to draw performances out of um, the talent or the actors and actresses and still be able to like see big picture and, um, Obviously, Inaratu is is up there. I'm just I'm so curious, just because your access to to these icons within all of these areas is so I don't know anybody else like that. That you know, you say these names, but then you're actually like you've actually been able to have conversations, you know, yeah. and be in the same really room. And, and that is uh, um, I just find that really fascinating. Not to you know, we don't just have to list names but you're you're authentically in like five or six different communities that for some people it's hard to just like authentically yeah but i'm i'm less connected to the film world because i'm i i always feel like i'm an interloper still like i've made two documentaries you know like um but i can aspire to a lot of those people and i've had the opportunity to meet um quite a few filmmakers over the years uh, that I'm just blown away by. I, I, just the craft and the vision and the creativity. And and it's not just that, I mean, they have to have the capacity to like, I mean, directors really have to pull a lot of people together and, and create in an environment that's like very high stakes and high pressure. Um, and then they have to carry the film through release and all these other things. I mean, it's, it's an extraordinarily difficult 
job, I think, especially at the very upper levels of commercial um, narrative filmmaking. But I also really appreciate the documentary filmmakers that are out there in the dirt, in the field, and just grinding away at these, you know, documentaries that they believe in that are important. Um, And they're not making, you know, it's not, it's not, it's it's hard to make a, a real living as a documentary filmmaker. There's there's a few who can make a good living, but really, I mean, it's a it's it's pretty self driven um, endeavor. Uh, I'm I'm I feel closer to the the photography community, the National Geographic photographer community. That's that's a pretty core community for me. Um, I feel like that they're really close because I think we all speak the same language, even if we're shooting completely different subjects, but the devotion to the craft and what it takes and everybody understands what the sacrifices are. Um, and, you know, they're and the not pressure and the pressure. Yeah. And what we do to ourselves on an assignment, mm-hmm. how much time we spend beating ourselves over the head and beating ourselves up for not getting the shot or not having thought in a grander, broader vision. And you see other people's work and you're like, oh my God, like that is, you know, <laughs> I'm not <Everybody's> comparing. <laughs> you never feel worthy, you know, but, um, but you understand that that's how everybody feels. And then you feel like, oh, okay, well, everybody gets it, you know, so yeah. it's all good. Um, and and that that's a you know once uh, you understand that like you know everybody feels like they're not in the club that means you're in the club yeah you know <laughs> like and i love that's one of my favorite gatherings always every year is the national geographic photographers summit week you know when we we all get together and um there's no pretenses we're all just we're all photographers we've all worked really hard to get here we all sacrifice a lot to do what we do me personally i always feel like everybody's you know i'm sure you feel this too you're like wow they work so much harder or they sacrifice so much more and they shoot so much better yeah they have such a better like creative vision like you know but i think that's that's kind of what pulls you along in essence i mean there's so much of that in you because you're inspired by it you're like wow and and that's one of those things too when you when you hang out with somebody you haven't seen since the last year you look at their work and you're like wow like that's i'm i'm motivated by that you know i'm like hmm. okay well look at look at what they did this year that was incredible i really want to i sh- i'm going to try to do something like that you know um I, so I, I, it's great these communities are here to um keep you in your place, but also to elevate you and inspire you, you know, and I feel like that's what makes the communities that we're in really special. Hmm. I have a, a, a question. I mean, we're running a little low on time. And, and, yeah. and so I, I, you've brought up a name a few times, two or three times throughout the podcast. And I don't want to talk about him, but I want to talk about the moment we're in because it is relevant. You know, obviously we want to have you back and talk more, dive deeper. Um, but you brought up Dean Potter twice mm. and Dean is, or three times, and Dean's no longer with us. And I think you've learned a lot uh, through your expeditions, through your chosen lifestyle about the process of grief, 
Um, you've learned a lot, uh, I'm sure as, and, and I'm sure your, your perspective has changed as a father. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious right now in this massive sort of global moment of pause and grief, is there anything that you've learned that you feel is valuable to offer um, while we all sit and contemplate our state in the world and what's happening? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple questions in there. There's one about grief. Um, and then, and I'll answer that first, I guess. I think, uh, yeah. And the moment is the coronavirus. I just, you know, for later yes, on yes, when people are listening to this. Yeah, of course. I think um, I've had a lot of people that I've known that have passed in the mountains or doing what they do. Um, and I'm just going to talk about that specific segment because, you know, I've also lost both of my parents. Um, but Dean was, uh, for some reason, was particularly hard for me. I found that um, for a long time, for a year or so after Dean died, I don't know why, but I would just like randomly burst into tears, <laughs> you know, um, I would, I would see something that reminded me of him and I didn't spend that much time with him, but I, I spent a good amount of time with him. I guess he was a very powerful figure because like he more than a lot of people lived with so much conviction and I, I'd never really seen that before. I've seen degrees of it, but I guess my relationship with him exposed me to more of of who he was than maybe some other people that I also believe live with deep, deep conviction. But I got to see kind of the inner workings of it. And, um, and that was, that was, uh, that was really hard for me. um, Outside of like, you know, when I, when I lost my parents, I mean, separately, but um, grief is, 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 I think probably related directly to um, our view of the world and our own mortality as well. And I think climbers, just because I know climbers, I, I, I feel like we have a particular view on it, um, especially having been in situations where we've been close to death, we've had a, that perspective, um, or we've lost people or we've been with people that have died near us or have almost died near us, you know, and, and this is also probably related to studying Tibetan Buddhism to a degree too. But I mean, we are so focused on life all the time and, and we don't necessarily look at death very often or we shy away from looking at it or we don't look at it altogether because we're afraid to look at it. But I mean, mortality is, and, and death is, is um, examination of death, I think is really important because, and this is in a way what Free Solo is about as well. It's like in the examination of your mortality um, can drive a lot of your decisions in your life, you know? And so I've kind of, felt like that's the prism that I look at grief and death um, is that it's important to look at it um, 
and to to kind of find your footing around it because it can help dictate you know how you live your life you know um so i don't know if it's real or not but it sounds like a good sound but <laughs> so i mean in examining grief and and death you know i mean that's it, it's a I guess I do do that. I mean, that informs a lot of um, the decisions I make in my life. Um, and so grief is kind of an opportunity to do that, to examine that grief, mm. feel it, sit with it, um, but look at the, you know, the people, who they were, why they did what they did, how they did what they did. I don't know if that answers your question at all. No, I mean, it, it, it does. It, 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 it answers one question. And I, I think what I'm hearing you say is that um, as much as, as, as these painful times are an opportunity to um, reflect on others as they pass, it's also an important opportunity to reflect on ourselves and our own place in the world and, and the kind of legacy that we want to leave behind because yeah. it is fleeting and, and it does go by pretty quickly. Um, yeah. And, and I think, I, I think the grieving process is, is not mutually exclusive, but it can be separate. Um, but, but it offers an opportunity for introspection and also sort of exploration as to, as to what we want to be. Um, and yeah. without, without recognizing our own mortality. So you say um, it's so much better. <laughs> Who said That's not that? true? <laughs> yes. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that's a good you know, story. Said. no, for as, sure. That, that's, that is it. Yeah, I think you're nailing it. It's, is as, and this is my last question because, you, but like, yeah. you know, as a dad, as an, as a father, you know, how, how is that? How are you interpreting this? How are you offering that to your kids and, and how have your priorities changed as a father, but also in this moment as a father? Yeah. Well, I definitely think about it a lot. Um, the risk side of what I do uh, in relationship to being a father, and then also, you know, what I would love for my children to become, understand about their dad, those kind of things. Um, right now, you know, when I, I've been asked, you know, now that you have kids, how do you feel about risk? For a while, I was explaining to people, well, I came to a point in my career where I realized that, you know, because of my experience that I'm not necessarily because I'm consciously becoming more conservative, but just because of my experience and what I've seen, like I make decisions that are more conservative in the mountains. And I got to a point where I felt like I was making conservative enough calculations out there that I could have kids. It wasn't the other way around. Mm -hmm. um, but... I've been on a few expeditions since I've had kids and I've definitely been riding. I've, I've ridden the edge pretty close and I was conscious of it. And I was like, well, is this responsible for me to do? Um, Cause risk is such a relative thing. Like when we were on Alvatana in Antarctica a couple of years ago, it was pretty severe climbing and, pretty out there you know me and Conrad were way up on this alpine wall in Antarctica I mean rescue was zero chance of the rescue and 
um, Connor was like, wow, it's been really good. We've been making really conservative decisions. And I looked around us and we're like hanging 3000 feet off the deck. It's negative 30 degrees out. And we're like, we have two ropes that are basically all hacked to pieces. And I'm like, I kept thinking about the parents and the dads that were lined up at my son's preschool on the Upper East Side of New York. And I was like, you know what? I don't know if they would think this is a very conservative decision. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that was like a pinnacle experience for me. And I was like, you know what? It's not over. Like, I'm still looking for those. And I'm still, you know, it's still, I'm still motivated for it. Um, and I guess the way I justify it is that like, you know, I want my kids to to live deep and meaningful lives where they find things that they're passionate about. I don't care if it, they become poets or whatever, like, so long as they, they find that thing that like moves and drives them. But, but I, I want them to be able to live and feel like it's okay to pursue that to a degree um, that they feel satisfied um, and contentment and uh, in what they're able to do. Maybe that's an possibility because clearly you and I and Chris, we still haven't found it where we can just sit back. But um, so I don't really have a justification outside of saying, you know, I'm the example that they're probably going to be most influenced by. Um, I hope that, you know, what I've learned in my life and through my experiences that influence the way I make decisions are useful and um, justifiable to them, uh, even if something happens, you know. I don't think I don't think it's I don't think you need a justification. I think what you're saying is beautiful. It's more just a, a point of interest, and and you know we're just living in a strange moment where yeah. I think it gives us all pause. Um, yeah. Especially when you have young kids. Yeah. Because this will change the world. And yeah. It's and what kind of world do we want to be in? Definitely a, a new world. Um, yeah, which goes back to the original I, discussions that we were having earlier, um, which is that, you know, I, I want to give them the skills to be able to appreciate the simple joys of life. You know, we've been skiing and, and getting outside and um, trying to be really present with them and just swinging them on the swing and letting them have fun. Um, we have homeschooling and stuff, which they don't love, but <laughs> necessary. I mean, Jimmy, you must be, this is, this is like a lot of concentrated time for you. Yeah. It's the most, it's most consecutive days I've ever had with my kids, period. Wow. By wow. like kind of a long shot. And it's only been like a month and a half. So. Um, that's a new, that's a new world for you. Yeah, but it's it's awesome and it's also like infuriating in moments. Like, I mean, talk about being humble. Like when you can get a four-year-old to work you up so badly, like you feel like you're going to like lose your mind. You're like, wow, I am nothing. <laughs> this, this my six-year-old daughter has me wrapped around her finger and is now like swinging me through space. Yeah, I'm just like, ah. Yeah. Yeah. You are no longer the master of your own universe. Oh, not even <laughs> close. There's a six-year-old girl named Marina that is the master of the universe. <laughs> My universe, it. anyways. 
Love it. Well, I think, uh, there's so much more that we would love to cover Jimmy. Um, we've got, uh, you know, we'll have to do that in the future, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll just hang out. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But thank you so much for the time. It's really uh, good to see you guys. Yeah. It's great to see you. And, um, it's, it's always fun for me to be between two national geographic photographers who are also in an exclusive club of being on top of Everest <laughs> times each. So this is a very exclusive club that uh, I get to listen in on. So thank you. Yeah, um, man. I, I really appreciate it. It's funny. Every time this happens, every time it's such a lesson and I, and I hope the audience feels this too, but I, you know, I just, I always walk away from our interactions feeling inspired and, and honestly, somewhat begrudgingly, I'm like, fuck, he did it again. Like somehow, <laughs> like, so I, I appreciate that in you. I appreciate that quality of you. You, you really, um, I, I appreciate what you bring to the world. You're a really special person. And like well, everybody. So are, so are both of you. You guys are doing a lot of incredible things out there. So it's well, good to see you guys doing that, being productive and getting these ideas and stories out. I think it's awesome. So trying. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, brother. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, for we, time, should all, we should hang out soon. Let's or at least get on a phone call. And <laughs> yeah. Chill. All right. Good all to right. see you guys. Cheers. Later. Cheers. Ciao. Wow. Thanks for listening. That was an extraordinary conversation with an extraordinary human as built. And you made it to the end. And as promised, you're in for a treat a pilot episode of our new podcast, Legends from the Field. Legends from the Field is the new premium podcast that sits down with the icons of adventure and gets their biggest and best, baddest story, if you will, the one that they get asked, hey, around the campfire, tell a story, tell your best story. That's what we've got. Intimate, straight from there, not an interview, just them telling the story straight to you. We're going to lead with Jimmy. You're going to get this one for free if you like it. There's a whole bunch of others on the website behind the premium membership. Premium membership comes with all sorts of other benefits, including an entire library of classes that can help you lead a more adventurous life. Check it out. Don't take my word for it. Here's Jimmy to talk about it. Hi, I'm Jimmy Chin and a founding member of Rome. We hope you'll join us as a premium member at Rome. Get the goods. And now, without further ado, the new Rome podcast, Legends from the Field, straight from Jimmy Chin, his experience on the north side of Everest. I'll let him do the talking about this. He explains it a lot better and in more detail, but he and his partner tried to do a winter ascent of the north side and then ski it. They get hit with a massive avalanche. Thanks for the support. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the newest podcast from Rome, Legends from the Field. What is a legend from the field? A legend from the field is a story, an amazing story, one that you probably haven't heard before from an icon or adventurer from a far-flung place facing adversity, possibly death. Um, Just one of these stories that you hear around the campfire. We've been wanting to bring this to you for so long and it's so exciting to be able to finally do it as someone who's been in this space for many, many years and had the opportunity and privilege really to spend time 
with these just amazing athletes and photographers, filmmakers, folks who are out there doing it. Um, they all have these incredible stories and some of them make it uh, to film or to an interview, but so many of them don't and some of them don't for good reason from time to time. So we're going to give you a little extra access here, uh, something that you probably haven't heard before. And it's very fitting that we would start with one of Rome's founding members, Jimmy Chin, the legend himself. Early in Jimmy's career, he set out on an objective, just an almost impossible objective, of course, to ski the north face of Everest. So I won't tease or, or, you, or leave you with anything else right now, but just enjoy this legend from the field. And if you like it, you know, subscribe, come back, give us a rating and a review. We'll be here to share another legend from the field. My name is Jimmy Chin, and I am a filmmaker, photographer, climber, slash adventurer. I've been doing expeditions for almost 20 years and documenting them uh, through film and photography. So this is a story about a trip I did to Mount Everest, where we were attempting the direct north face. Okay. So the direct north face on Mount Everest is a 9,000 foot face. The base of the climb starts at 20,000 feet, climbs 9,000 vertical feet to the summit of Everest at 29,000 feet. We were trying to climb it in what we call alpine style, meaning we weren't using any fixed ropes, we weren't building any camps on the, on the route. You start from the ground and you basically do a single push to the top and come back down. It's a highly committing style, and in the alpine climbing world, alpine style climbing is considered the purest and most committing form of climbing in the big mountains. Because there's no safety lines back to the bottom, you're not resupplying in what is traditionally called expedition style climbing, or siege climbing, where you use, you know, tons of uh, resources, fixed lines up the route, go up and down, up and down, stocking camps, which is a little less committing. So I was, uh, I was there with my partner, Stephen Koch. We spent two months basically acclimatizing on nearby peaks, getting ready for uh, the attempt on the face. And that time is really important because you can watch the face and kind of get familiar with it. We were attempting it during the monsoon season, which is not the traditional season to climb Everest. Usually people come in the pre-monsoon in the spring, or they go in the post-monsoon in the fall. Uh, we needed to try to climb it in the monsoon season because we needed a lot of snow on the face. And it makes it actually easier. And so we're waiting for the monsoon season to paste it with snow and in that window between the monsoon season and the post-monsoon season, there's usually a moment when the jet stream stops uh, and calms down for a week or so. And that would be our window that we're aiming for. When we were confident in our acclimatization and the conditions on the face, we decided to move up towards the base of the wall. To approach the base of the wall, you hike up the central Rongbuk Glacier. 
and since it's a huge Himalayan glacier, I mean, there's crevasses that you could fit, you know, multiple buildings into. The only way to kind of get up and over to the base of the wall, we had to skirt on the left-hand side of the glacier. On that left side is another huge peak called Changse, and that peak is, you know, over 7,000 meters high, uh, and it's a very big face that kind of drops down and you kind of have to walk underneath it. On that face and up high on the top of the mountain, there are a few hanging seracs, basically hanging glaciers that occasionally calve off. You know, we were constantly aware of our objective hazards. Seracs are always an objective hazard in the mountains, and so you try to avoid their uh, avalanche paths. In this case, we knew that we had to cross underneath it, and so we headed up in the middle of the night because it's the safest time to travel in that kind of terrain. There's no sun and temperature changes that might affect uh, the hanging seracs and cause them to avalanche. As we were crossing underneath Changse, it had gotten quite misty and the route finding was a little bit challenging. Uh, all we could see was our headlamps kind of beaming through the mist. Stephen and I are traveling about 50 to 70 feet apart, uh, connected by a thin rope. In case one of us was to fall into a crevasse, you can pull the other person out. So we're trying to navigate our route uh, to stay as far away from the wall on Changse, but not go too far uh, into the crevasse field on the right. We're moving and we hear a loud crack. It sounds very, very far away, but it's distinct enough where it stops us in our tracks. And we listen. And there's a very distant rumbling. And we stand there and we wait. And that rumbling starts to get louder and louder and louder until it overwhelms us. It's like your senses, it's so loud. It sounds like a train crash. Uh, coming down the mountain. It got so loud that I remember yelling to Stephen and looking at him. I could see him mouthing words, but all I could hear was the sound of this huge, kind of catastrophic sounding event happening around us. And I remember looking up uh, in the direction of the sound and all I could see was this beam of light going through the mist and then I saw this wall and it was as high as you could see and it was coming at us really fast. I remember looking at Stephen and he dropped down on his stomach with his ice axe into the, into the glacier in a self-arrest position. And I remember thinking, well, that's not going to do any good. And I squared up and faced the, the huge kind of air blast wall, just thinking, well, this is it. And uh, the next moment, I remember just, you know, it's probably a hundred mile an hour air blast. I just remember just getting shot into the air when it hit.
and I remember flying through the air and then the rope that's attached between me and Steven catching my harness and pulling me really, really tight to the point where I thought the you know rope was gonna snap and I'm literally flapping in the air like a kite. And I don't remember how long it was, but it was a fairly significant air blast. I, I felt like I was flapping out there for a while, and then I fell like 25 or 30 feet onto the ground and then got completely enveloped and buried under, you know, probably a foot or two of really, really dense uh, powder. And I pushed myself up, popped out of the snow, kind of looking around, looking at myself, looking at my arms and legs and thinking, wow, I'm alive. And I looked over at Stephen and he was kind of just crawling up out of the snow. And I remember thinking, oh, that was a good idea. Having Stephen be in that self-arrest position was actually probably saved us from getting blown off into these huge crevasses behind us. At that point, we kind of looked at each other, brushed off the snow, and decided uh, we would probably go back to our base camp and maybe come back another day, which we eventually did. It's a great story about what happened. There was failure, and there was near death. And it's amazing to think, what would the world be like if some of the things in the story had gone a different way? We're glad it didn't, uh, because we got Free Solo and Meru and so many other things around our friend Jimmy. And while their objective didn't come to fruition that year, Jimmy did return and skied at Everest on another occasion, which is another story. So thank you so much for tuning in. Please subscribe and drop a rating or review if you enjoy this podcast. And uh, come back next time for another legend from the field.